If you would, please open your Bibles to Job chapter 23. We'll be reading from verses 1 through 10. Again, that is Job chapter 23, 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the King James Version. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. There, there the righteous might dispute with him, so I, so should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth that way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. It is good to see you this morning. Glad to see Brother Gene coming up uh, from Florida to be with us. And, of course, he's going to go by and visit with Belinda here in a little while. And, and uh, we're thankful for him to come and, and uh, be with us. We're, good to, we're glad to see uh, Tom and Nellie with us. I'd uh, almost forgotten what they look like. So I'm glad they're, they're able to get out and be with us. And uh, uh, glad they were able to stay in for a while, make sure that everything was going to be okay. And uh, I am thankful for Brother Carl. You know, I sent Carl the title of the sermon and uh, the passage. And every time, I've never seen anything like it, he comes up with the best thing. You know, that song we just sang is what we're wanting, isn't it? We want to be somewhere where there are no more burdens. That's the whole goal. We're burdened in this life. And this morning I want to talk about a few things. Uh, because uh, sometimes the burdens of this life make the... Uh, unordinary, the ordinary, doesn't it? Things have changed for us uh, as a society because of this uh, virus going around, and things have changed for us, and sometimes we get a little complacent. We don't want to do that. We don't want to get a little complacent because we don't want to miss out on the prize ahead of us. We don't want to miss out on being able to go to a place where there are no more burdens. And so we have to really be careful, and it's not that that I think that we are uh, losing our fervor. It's just that we need to be reminded sometimes, and we need to continually encourage one another. After all, that's what Peter told uh, those uh, to whom he was writing in his second letter. He said, I'm writing to, to uh, bring to your remembrance, to stir you up, right? They knew all the things he was talking about, but they still, we as people need to be encouraged uh, to maintain and to keep going. You know, a little encouragement goes a long way, doesn't it? A little encouragement goes a long way. We may be doing everything right, but it may become a burden to us a little bit to do things right. And so if someone encourages us a little bit, we always respond in such a way that it kind of lifts that burden. Chad Walsh wrote a book entitled Early Christians of the 21st Century. He described Christians this way. He said, millions of Christians live in a sentimental haze of vague piety, with soft organ music trembling in the uh, uh, organ music trembling in the lovely light from stained glass windows. Their religion is a pleasant thing of emotional quiver, divorced from the intellect. 
divorced from the will and demanding little except lip service to a few harmless platitudes. He goes on to say, I suspect that Satan has called off his attempt to convert people to agnosticism. After all, if a person travels far enough away from Christianity, he or she is always in danger of seeing it in perspective and deciding that it is true, and that is very true. It is much safer, he says, from Satan's point of view, to vaccinate a person, and I thought this was an amazing statement, to vaccinate a person with a mild case of Christianity so as to protect him from the real disease. Do you ever ask yourself, he says, why is it that so many Christians have a mild case of Christianity? I think the answer is this, an inadequate and imprecise view of faith. We tend to have a sloppy, spongy view of this critical subject. Now, I think Mr. Walsh was correct in a lot of ways. Now, I think where he is incorrect is if he believes this is peculiar to the 21st century. (laughs) I think he missed it there. Job's friends were not Christians, but they were children of God. They were Jews, or they weren't Jews, they were children of God. They lived during the patriarchal period. They had a relationship with God, but they were, uh, I think, the kind of people that fit Mr. Walsh's description. I think they had a mild case of being a follower of God. Now, the difference in Job and his friends, I think, was Job's faith, obviously. Job had a faith that would carry him through. Now, Job was a very unique individual. When we look at the life of Job and we look what he went through, and we understand and we study that, he didn't have a lot of encouragement. Job was a very unique individual who obviously didn't require a ton of encouragement. Unlike myself, and and I think probably most people in the world, we require some encouragement as we go along. Now, Job, well, he was the real deal. He was the real deal. He didn't require a lot of encouragement, and thank God for that, because he didn't have any. He didn't have any encouragement from those around him. Now, he had encouragement from God because of his relationship with God, but his faith was deeply rooted, and our faith has to be deeper, deeply rooted, because all of us have struggled in one way or another. But if that has not happened yet, just wait. It will come. It always does. And so we will face something in this life that we may even feel like we cannot overcome, but we can. And so we need to be able to focus on our faith and make it strong. And then when the small things come along that kind of disrupt our lives like it's happening right now, we can overcome that with no problem. Now, I know that we're all going to suffer because Christ suffered, Isaiah 53, verse 3. He suffered, and if if suffering comes to the Savior, why would I believe it would not come to me at some point? After all, suffering happens because sin came into the world, not because God gave it to us. Suffering happens because sin came into the world, and people give themselves over to it, and that causes suffering. But have you noticed, when we do suffer, that we usually have questions, don't we? Why? I think maybe that's, that's the prominent question. Why? Why did this happen? Or why did that happen? Or why did it happen to me? Why didn't it happen to someone else? You see, uh, uh, people in the world who are as far away from God as one can get, and you look around and you think, boy, they are really prospering. Nothing bad happens to them. Their families are healthy. They don't even like God. They don't acknowledge God. I don't even know if they believe in God. And it's like 
they're blessed. And then you have someone who's a Christian. They lose their spouses. They lose their children. They lose their finances. They lose their homes. They lose friendships. They lose, they lose everything. Or at least that's what it seems like when we're going through something, right? And we think, why? Why does that happen? You know, throughout history, many righteous people have had questions for God. When we look at 1 Samuel 4, verse 3, when the Philistines killed about 4,000 Israelites, in battle, in battle, the elders asked the troops, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Who killed the, who killed the Israelites? Well, the Philistines did, right? What about when the psalmist felt confused about the events of his life, and he asked, Why standest thou far off, Psalm 10, 1, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? When has God ever hidden himself from someone who was faithful to him in a time of trouble. It's never happened that I'm aware of. He doesn't hide himself. God's in the same place he's always been. Now, do I move myself out of the presence of God from time to time? Well, probably. And so, we ask questions. Does that make us faithless because we ask questions? Why? That doesn't make us faithless. It makes us confused, right? And in the passage read before us, Job asked a question. In essence, what Job was asking, he said, God, where are you? Can't you see me in this trouble I'm having? Do you see what's been happening to me? Where are you? He's in the same place he's always been. Job was a little confused. He said, oh, that I knew where I might find him. You know, in his life, Job had four friends who came to comfort him. I think maybe the statement, with friends like you, no one needs enemies, maybe no no more true than in this situation right here, right? However, instead of comfort, those friends made accusation after accusation toward Job, and they questioned Job's character. Not only was Job down, now they're kicking him. You know, Job was a good man. He had a track record of being a good man. And now they come in here, and they start trying to take away from him the only thing he's got left. His character. And they want to remove it from him. You see, they believed that no one suffered unless they had sinned. That was a prominent belief in the, uh, with the pagans in that time. And so what Job is listening to, and the reason Job is asking God, where are you, is because he wanted to be vindicated. He wanted someone to stand up on his side and take up his part and say, no, you've got it all wrong. Job is a good man. He wanted God to tell those men Job's innocent. You're wrong. Job has done nothing. Job is collateral damage. Really, it's what he was. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wanted God to stand up and take your part? Or someone close to you to stand up and take your part because you know you'd been done wrong? Someone had the wrong idea about you? Or things were happening in this life and you just needed some help and you didn't really know where to go? You cry out to God but you don't really know what to ask for? I think we've all probably felt that way. I felt that way. I've been in those situations where I've pleaded to God and I've wanted help and it didn't materialize, or at least in my mind it didn't materialize. You know, we're not believing in miracles, but we believe in providence and we want God to impact our lives because we know He works in the kingdoms of men. We know that there's a thing of special providence, Matthew six thirty three, and and He takes care of the faithful. And we want that to happen in our lives. That doesn't mean it's going to happen the way we want it to happen because God works out things the way He wants them to work out. But 
when we ask why, it doesn't mean that we've lost our faith. What it means is we are confused and we need to be encouraged to continue doing what we're doing. The title of the sermon this morning is, Where Are You? Where are you? Because that's what we ask sometimes, isn't it? Where is God? Where are those who love us? Why am I all alone in this life? And we may not be, but it feels like that, and that doesn't make it any less hurtful. Where are you? I think we can learn from Job, and if we learn from Job, we'll learn how to strengthen our faith in times of trouble. So let's begin with the obvious. Job was discouraged. It's our first point. Job was discouraged. And why was he discouraged? Well, he was discouraged from the beginning of his troubles. He lost his property, he lost his wealth, he lost his children, and then these friends show up. If he weren't discouraged before, he certainly was discouraged when they got there. He had a bitter complaint, and he said his hand was heavy. In other words, his burden was greater than he could bear, he thought. His burden was greater. He said, my hand is heavy. Now, the idiom of a heavy hand in the Old Testament points to great discouragement. We've all been discouraged a little bit, you know. You, you, uh, uh, you know, you work hard at a construction job, and you you pour some concrete, and then uh, the dog comes through and steps all in it. That's a little discouraging, isn't it? Spend all that time. That's that's just your average discouragement, right? That's just daily life discouragement. Job had a heavy discouragement. He had a heavy hand. Jeremiah said this. Jeremiah six twenty four. We've heard the report of it. Our hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of us. Pain as of, of, as of a woman in labor. Our hands are feeble because they're heavy. They're heavy. The accusations from Job's friends, we might say, just kind of took the wind out of his sails. Took the last bit of strength that he thought he had and they just took it. Now it angered Job. It angered him. He felt that, that he was nearing the end of his rope. And what's your friend supposed to do? Give you a hand, right? Help you back up the rope. Well, what's God supposed to do for us? Well, we think God's supposed to help us, right? Well, He does help us. We may not understand how it's happening at the time. Eliphaz and, and other friends had some things to say to Job. Notice what they said. Eliphaz, Job 4, 7 through 9, he said, Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, whoever perished being innocent, well, I don't know, what history books he was reading from. A lot of people perish who are innocent, right? What about in the flood? Well, any child or any baby that perished in the flood was innocent. But they perished. Not through any fault of their own either. It wasn't God's fault. It was their parents' fault, right? He said, you reap what you sow. You sow wickedness, you reap wickedness. It's okay, Job, you're wicked. Zophar added this, Job 20, beginning with verse 4, he said, Knowest thou not this of old, since man was placed upon the earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite, but for a moment. In other words, Job, your joy is short because you're a hypocrite and you're wicked. You're getting exactly what you deserve. Imagine being in Job's place. He lost his livelihood. He lost his children. His health was gone. It appears his wife had turned against him. He had no encouragement. He was discouraged. Then his friends tear him down instead of lifting him up right when he needed them most. Job 
seemed and was discouraged. He was discouraged by his friends. But he was discouraged in some way, not that he was right, but he was discouraged by the Father. He wasn't understanding some things. He made he made some mistakes in what he thought was going on, but did that change his hurt? Did that change his hurt? You know, uh, y'all will remember sometime back, I cut my knee with a chainsaw because I wasn't watching properly. It was my fault. Did that make it feel better? No, it didn't. It still hurt just the same as if someone else had done it to me. And so Job misunderstood some things, but it didn't take the hurt away, right? He wasn't upset with God because he suffered. And I think some people misunderstand that. Let's not believe he was upset with God because he was suffering. He understood that suffering happens. He was upset because he felt God ought to be standing up for his part. He needed God, or in his mind, he needed God to tell those friends to shut up. Stop talking to Job that way because you're wrong. He, he needed that. That's what he felt like he needed. He had been raked over the coals for all of these supposed sins he had committed. And he was a little upset. Do we get upset sometimes when bad things happen in our lives, whether it's rational or not? Of course we do. Sure we do. Now, that doesn't give us an excuse to sin, but that happens. I don't think Job is sinning right here. He's confused. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's simply crying out, wanting God to help him, right? But... In all of this, he held close and tight to his integrity. He did not sin. He did what he was supposed to do, but that doesn't mean he knew everything that he thought he knew. But sometimes we get confused. We have to come to some understandings in this life, don't we? We have to academically come to some understandings, so when, it, when the emotional times come, we can rely on that. Does God cause bad things to happen? Well, academically, we can understand, no, he does not. And so when we teach ourselves the academic part of it, when the emotional part comes, we can rely on that. Job understood God wasn't the source of his suffering in the sense that he was angry at God because he suffered. He thought God caused that suffering, but he said that's just part of life, right? So he was confused on some things. You know... We need to be able to handle that. What do we do? What should we do if we come to that point in our life? Well, first, we can't blame God. James said good and perfect gifts, all good and perfect gifts come down from the Father. And in the end, Job won his vindication, didn't he? you remember what God told Eliphaz? He told him, recorded for us in chapter 42, beginning verse 7, He said, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Well, what had they spoken? Job's evil, Job's wicked. One of the friends said, God talked to me and told me you were wicked. So they were lying all the way around. They weren't speaking the truth. And so God said, I'm angry with you and my wrath is kindled because you were not honest like my friend Job, my servant Job. And then he went on to tell him, you better take some sacrifices and you go have Job offer that sacrifice so that I might forgive you. God will take care of His people. God's going to take care of His people. Now, we may not see it in the physical, but we'll see it in the eternal. Uh, Paul warned this, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, beginning verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God... 
to rep, uh, recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed. God's going to take care of His people. Job was discouraged. But you know what Job really wanted? He wanted to declare a few things. Not to his friends. To God. That's our second point. He wanted God, first of all, to persuade those men that he was innocent. They had laid charges against him and he said, I'm innocent. He wanted God to persuade them. And he wanted to talk to God about that. He wanted to talk to God about that. He had suffered intensely Mentally, physically, emotionally, his friends had done all they could to tear him down. And they accused him of wrongdoing. Of course, in Job's mind, God hadn't answered the friends. And he wanted to declare a few things to God. But we get that way sometimes, don't we? It isn't just Job. It's a lot of people. When things happen, we don't understand why they happen. We don't understand why it happened to us. When it doesn't happen to anyone else, you know, I can remember... When my father was in the hospital in Knoxville at UT, there was some literature, and I may have told this to you, there was some literature on uh, the table. We were in the waiting room, and it was talking about all the great doctors that they had at the University of Tennessee, and these people had had terrible car accidents and, and terrible brain trauma, and they uh, saved their lives and put them back into the world, and they just went on living like nothing had ever happened. But you know what? That is not how it turned out for me. That's not how it turned out for me. And I'm thinking, well, why can it work for them and not work for me? I was a little upset with that. Was it God's fault that those things are happening? No, not at all. But when you're in an emotional low point in your life and you're wondering why things are happening, you begin to question some things, right? Well, why not to someone who's who believes in God and, and follows God and everybody involved in the scenario were Christians and, and why why does it work for someone over here who was really in a worse wreck than what you see you begin to ask all kinds of questions you want to declare a few things he asked this and I don't think we ought to miss the use of Job's irony as he defended himself he asked would he contend with me in his great power talking of God no but he would take note of me. Now once Job had his opportunity to declare a few things to God, we find the exact opposite, don't we? God did contend with Job in his great power. He spoke to him out of a whirlwind and out of a tornado, uh, Job 38.1. That's great power, isn't it? And God asked him a few questions. Do you notice that when he was able to declare some things to God, Job kind of dried up a little bit. God began to ask some questions. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Well, that's something, isn't it? You're saying a few things here, Job. You don't even have the knowledge. You don't even know what you're saying. Now prepare yourself, he said, like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. You're not going to question me. You're not going to question me. I can remember one time growing up. I'd gotten into a little bit of trouble. My dad was uh, counseling me a little bit on it, and he was uh, talking to me, and, and I questioned something. He said, you don't question me. I'm going to question you. You better have the answers. I can remember that as clear as day. So I understand how Joe felt, because I kind of dried up myself when that happened. I didn't have a whole lot to say. And so God says, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Job, you better have the answers. See, I think Job's coming to a little bit of an understanding here. What was God's whole point? 
Job didn't have any answers to those questions except for, I can't do it. Where were you when I created the world? I wasn't there. Can you keep the, the oceans in, in the ocean bed without it uh, uh, flooding the whole world? No. Can you do this? Can you do that? No, can't do that either. Job, you don't have the answers. So maybe you ought to listen. Maybe you ought to listen, right? The whole point was Job had perceived a picture of what God was supposed to do. So he wanted God to persuade those men. That didn't even have anything to do with it. <laughs> he had perceived wrongly. Now, that happens when people argue with God, right? He, was, he wanted to argue a little bit with God. Does that happen today? Well, yeah, it happens today. People want to argue with God about the most simple things. How do I become a Christian? I think the world wants to be saved. The majority of the people want to be saved. I think the majority of the world believe in some kind of a higher power. They may not particularly believe in the God of the New Testament or the God of the Bible, but I think they believe in a higher power and they they believe in, in a life after death and they want the good part, not the bad part, and so they want to be saved. But you know the problem with most people in the world, they want God to save them, but the way they want to be saved. They want to tell God how to do it. See, Job was kind of doing that, wasn't he? Job was suffering. I tend to want to give him a pass. And so he began to question God. I don't give him a pass for that. But uh, he wanted to explain a few things to God. Then when it came down to it, he couldn't explain anything. And that's what people do in the world today. They want to be saved, but they want to tell God, well, I want to be saved by just believing in you. We can't give them a pass for that. Because when it comes down to it and God asks, well, well what do you need to do to be saved? They, can't, they don't have the answers. Well, I want to believe in you, okay. The devils believe and tremble. Where'd that get them? Hell. So that's, obviously you got to have something else, right? And so when we look at the plan of salvation, we understand what that is. I look at, we're all Christians here. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. You know, that's God's plan. That's God's way. I can't add to that. I can't take away from it. I can't come up with my own plan. And so when God questions us, we better have the answers. And that's going to be one of the questions. What did you do to become a Christian? What did you do to be able to enter into heaven? Well, Job better have said, well, I, I did the things you asked me to do. I offered the appropriate sacrifices. I lived the appropriate way. The Jew better say, I offered the appropriate sacrifices. I gave the appropriate tithes. I, I attended the appropriate feasts. I lived the way I was supposed to live. And the Christian better say, I obeyed the gospel plan of salvation. And I remained faithful, allowing my faith to be strong even in difficult times. And that's what God expects. We better have the answers, right? We better believe that. It's, I think it's important to keep in mind the main reason Job responded the way he did. He was discouraged. He wanted to, to declare something from God, but he felt the way he felt because he felt disconnected. That's our third and our final point. He felt disconnected. Have you ever felt disconnected? You ever felt separated? Well, that's how Job felt. Separated from God, separated from his friends, separated from his children, separated from his wealth, separated from his wife. What, you know, what was he joined to? Nothing. In his mind, that's what he thought. He felt disconnected. He was separated, right? Just like we do, Job said he felt that way. He went forward, but he's not there. He was searching for God, but he wasn't there. And he, and I went backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I can't behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. 
I think sometimes we feel disconnected and separated from God when, when terrible things happen. When our lives become disrupted, now I think the things going on in our world today could be a whole lot worse, but it still disrupts things. It changes things. How many of us have really enjoyed not being able to come together and fellowship with one another? Well, I don't think any of us have. I'm thankful we're able to do that in some semblance now. But it, but it, it makes us feel disconnected, doesn't it? It makes us feel separated from one another. And if we're not careful, if we allow the, uh, out of the ordinary to become the ordinary, that's kind of the way it is, and then we do become disconnected and separated from God. But we need to be careful, right? Sometimes we ask, where are you? We may, be asking God, or we may be asking each other, but if we learn from Job's experience, we learn that God is involved in our suffering. And what I mean by that, not that He's the source, but He may be helping us in some way. We might be suffering in a whole lot worse way than what we are. God may be using our situation to help teach something, like He did with Job. And I'm not talking about a miraculous way, but God works in our lives, and He, no doubt, that He has helped the faithful. There's no doubt that prayer works. There's no doubt that, that people might have died otherwise. Does that mean that good folks don't die and that Christians don't die? No, that's not what that means. But that means that now they're getting their reward. Right? They're getting their reward. And now we look forward to being reunited with them. So we've got to be careful about this whole idea of suffering. He worked in Job's life Within that suffering, you remember what happened? He told Satan, take anything away from him you want to take from him. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. You can't touch his health. Take his wealth. Take his children. I'll show you what a, what a real, uh, follower of mine does. Okay? Satan comes back and says, oh yeah, but you built this hedge ram. Okay. Touch him, but you better not take his life. Take his health away. Have you ever been more discouraged than when you've lost something and then you lose your health? You're just laying there and you're thinking, well, I'd rather die. I'd rather die. How many of you ever thought that way? Have you ever been so sick that you thought, I'd just rather be dead? People have. People have. Okay, but you can't take his life. He participated in Job's suffering to help Job. It could have been a whole lot worse, right? That happens today. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common. God's not going to allow something to face us that we can't handle. He's not going to allow a temptation to come in our lives that we can't get away from. There's always a way of escape, Paul said. We just have to look for it and we have to take it. The problem is people don't take the way of escape, right? God takes care of us. Without God... Suffering would be much worse. Ask people in the world who who uh, don't believe in God. They don't participate in anything like that. What have they got to look forward to? Paul said, we of, are of all men most miserable. He's talking about the Christian, right? If there's no resurrection, that means God's not real. Jesus isn't real. We're miserable. But think about the people who don't have anything. What do they have to hold on to? Mark Twain's wife laying on her deathbed. He says, well, pray to God. She says, you took that away from me a long time ago. She had nothing. She was going into eternity with nothing. No comfort whatsoever. At least those of us who are Christians, who've lost family members who are Christians, understand, hey, 
they wouldn't trade places with us because God takes care of His people. We need to be careful when we consider God and what He does. We know God works wonders through suffering. James said, James 1, 2 through 4, count it great joy when, when you fall into diverse temptations. That doesn't mean we enjoy the suffering, but that means that we can take that suffering and something good happen from it. The behavior of someone who goes through something and suffering, and, and a, a person who's not a Christian sees that and is inspired by that. It makes them want to want to say, well, something's different about that individual. They handled this or that, and they did it in such a way. And You know, I want that. I want that peace. We need to understand what Paul meant too in Romans eight twenty eight. He said, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. I think a whole lot of people misunderstand that, right? They think, well, nothing bad's going to happen to, to the faithful. No, that's not absolutely not what that means. That means that when something does happen to the faithful that's bad, in the end, it works for good. Why? Because they were faithful. <laughs> not because something bad happened to them. Because they were faithful. What about those in the first century who lost their lives? It all worked out for the good, not because they lost their lives, but because they were faithful. John, the apostle, he died of natural causes as far as we can tell. Did it still work out good for him? Sure it did. Not because he was alive in this world, but because he was alive in this world and faithful. We have to be able to uh, allow our faith to help us along. There was a man standing next to the zoo animal keeper. He's watching Angola giraffe give birth. She's just standing up, and that's what giraffes do. They stand up, and they don't lay down. And he asked the uh, uh, zookeeper, he said, when's she going to lay down? He said, well, she's not going to lay down. He said, well, that that baby was in the process of being born. His front feet were out, and his head was out. It's ten feet from the ground. And the, the, the fellow says, well, is someone going to go out and try to catch that baby? He said, well, you can if you want to, but if she kicks you, she's strong enough to kick your head off. And about that time, the baby came out, dropped 10 feet, fell on the ground with a splat, and the mama turned around, kicked the baby 10 feet over. He said, what's she doing? What's she, what's she doing? The, the zookeeper said, trying to get it, get the baby to get up. So the baby tried to get up a little bit. Mama walked over, kicked it again. Well, what's she doing? The baby has to learn to get up. Because if the baby doesn't get up and learn how to walk and run with the, with the group, the predators will get it. She's trying to teach that baby something. Bad things happen. Do you think that, that baby giraffe enjoyed that? Boy, that's an eye-opener, isn't it? Come into this world, drop ten feet, fall on the ground, your mama kicks you another ten feet, does it two or three more times, and you get up and learn to walk? Well, that's not a very good introduction into life, is it? But it'll save your life. It'll save your life if you're Angola uh, giraffe, and you've got a bunch of lions and cheetahs and everything else in the world on your trail. Hyenas wanting to eat you, right? It's so bad things happen in this world. We need to allow our faith not to allow the unusual become the usual. The out of the ordinary to become the ordinary. You know, that wasn't going to happen again. That baby wasn't going to go through that again. It happened one time. But it taught the thing something. She kicked it the second time so it would remember how it got up. Because you know what she did? It finally got to its feet. She went over and kicked it down again. The guy said, Why? Because it needs to remember how to get up. Got up once, but it needs to remember how to get up again because it may go down. And so we need to look at life that way, right? And so we need to be careful. Even, the Job, even though Job asked God some questions, you know, where was God during his trials? He had already answered that question, but he was so emotional 
he didn't realize what he had said. Remember what he said, Job 23, verse 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. He knew where God was. God was in heaven, sitting on the throne, ruling over the world. And that's where Job knew he was. The psalmist said this, But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared His throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And He shall administer judgment for the people in uprightness. We can rest assured, God is reigning in heaven. He's going to take care of His people even when bad things happen to good people. Where where are you? Where are you? Where are you, God? He's in heaven watching over us. But for Him to take care of us and for it to work out for good, we have to be faithful. We've talked about how to become a Christian. You've got to be a Christian. But you know, sometimes people fall away. Job's friends had to repent because they made some terrible mistakes. And they had to do it publicly. Sometimes we have to do that publicly. But whether or not it's a public sin or not, we always have to repent. We may need to take care of it privately. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this day, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.